A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, the kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, magic, and mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. Somewhat of a, a creator spotlight, but I mean, the, the book is coming out. The properties are coming out through AWA, who we haven't had a lot of AWA creators on, but they're, they're certainly a publisher you should pay attention to. They have some really great books. Uh, but the properties, sort of an umbrella of books, and we'll get into the details of that. Uh, it's called Lesser Evils, and I have the, the creative mind behind it, or one of the creative minds, I should say, behind the, the initiative. Yes. Ian Grody is joining me. Ian, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for uh, for having me and shout out to um, my other uh, co-creative minds here, uh, Justin Fair and Yushan Lee, who did a tremendous uh, job uh, as team members really building this entire universe. So I uh, wanted to wanted to shout them out. Yeah. So Ian's joining us. We're going to talk about this, the initiative in kind of broad strokes, and then we'll get into a little uh, of the details. I've had a chance to check out three of the properties so far. They're a lot of fun. Uh, but before we do that, I want to sort of talk about the roots of the project. And one of the things that uh, I, like right away caught my attention. So I, I've been in New York a number of times for my day job. I love the vibe. Uh, you know, it, it's just there's no place on earth I've ever been to. And I've traveled quite a bit. <laughs> in the U.S. for uh, my day job, there's yeah. nothing that has the vibe of of New York, and this is a quintessential New York setting that these stories take place in. Uh, Ian himself is from New York, uh, and so I imagine that it has a lot to do with it. So, talk a little bit about uh, what New York City means to you, specifically where these. Uh, I'll let you reveal wh- which borough. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just t- yeah. Talk talk about your love of the of the city and and kind of uh, you know it seems like these stories kind of couldn't take place anywhere else. Such a diverse uh, story, which reflects the diversity of the city that you're from. Yeah. Thanks so much for saying so. Uh, 
I've been in New York uh, since uh, graduating from college. I, I grew up not far from New York. And so it's very much part of the fabric of who I am. And what I what I always loved about New York, or among the many things that I love about New York still, is the fact that you have all of these people who are in cocoon mode. They're always um, changing uh, in a state of metamorphosis, trying to become this new, better, uh, more exciting version of, of, of who they are. And to me, any place that is so full of uh, uh, transition and, and hope and sometimes longing and desperation has this magic about it. And I, I said to myself, this is, this is where I want to set my, my supernatural world. And my hope is that when you encounter all the characters in the, in the variety of series that Lesser Evils uh, en encompasses, genies and golems and accidental Kabbalist sorcerers and, and you fucking name it, you'll recognize them as New Yorkers, even though they happen to be supernatural entities. And I think that when you see someone who is sort of down and out and having a, a quarter life or quarter eon crisis in this case, you know that person. And when you find someone who's heartbroken, drowning their sorrows um, uh, at a bar or in a coffee shop alone in the corner, uh, you know that person. And when you see someone who uh, is is perhaps uh, by the by the by the water uh, along the Gowanus Canal, uh, thinking about their life choices, uh, you know that person. It's just the the opportunity to have those people. Uh, also be and encounter mermaids and, and these supernatural entities felt very, very exciting to me. It's also nice to think that there's a little more magic in the world than we could see. So uh, the opportunity to pierce the veil between the world that we know and, and maybe expose a little bit of the world that we don't and can never quite visit, but almost, almost visit um, was, was very appealing to me. I also quite like the idea of what I termed cultural realism. And it's not something that I see with as much frequency, but something that really does inspire me and something that I was hoping to, in partnership with my co-creators, uh, bring to the table here. So in New York, which is obviously, and in Brooklyn, uh, where all these stories take place, you have um, such, a, such a cultural hub. You have people who are passionate about art and music and literature and people who are living uh, by their social media feeds and uh, laughing at memes. And I wanted to bring all of that, all of that into these supernatural stories. And so there was uh, a sense that uh, not, not only are we covering uh, the relatable uh, experiences of people of a certain age living in a certain place, but we're also bringing in everything that they consume and all of their passion points. And that to me helped heighten the realism in what is otherwise, you know, a purposefully artificial uh, world. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the cultural aspect in, in a second, because I, I, sure. I want to talk about that in the Tribeca Festival. But going back to something else you were saying before about, you know, these stories feel like they're they're almost they're, they're almost intersecting with your own life. You know, it, it's almost yeah, yeah, like yeah. Part of the magic and what I love about New York, it's more than any place I've ever been. It's this sliding door city, right? Like I'm familiar with the Cameron Diaz. Oh my gosh. Yes, of course. Film, right. So 
And what I mean by that is you're walking down the street and there's so many people, right? And you don't know them, but you know, if you just tweak the universe a little bit, you, you might have an encounter and that could become one of your best friends. Like it's always so full of possibility, but at the same time, you miss that moment of connection with that person and their life continues and your life continues and they have a whole reality and existence that doesn't have anything to do with you. And that's, that's so interesting. And I think that's reflected in the, the, when I say the possibility, like the possibilities of our, our own lives and, and the branches they can take is a very fertile ground to then turn around and say, I'm going to create some of my own characters in this lesser evils universe yes, yes. and we can explore those branches. So you got to feel like, uh, there's so many ideas. I mean, you can go in any number of directions. So it seems like a really fun place to play. Yeah, that's extraordinarily well put. Um, I have to say, to to me, it, it, it reminds me of, I think, something that Walt Whitman uh, wrote about. I think that he described every person in the city of New York as a potential um, partner, quote unquote partner. Right. Um, but what I what I think is even more meaningful beyond that is, Every every person you see on the uh, periphery of your everyday, you could, in another uh, uh, sliding door scenario, absolutely have some sort of adventure with or experience with. Exactly. And I love the idea that if you squint, you know, you can you can maybe there are not just people but other entities on the periphery as well. What's you know what can you just make out the shadow of, you know, just out of the corner of your eye. And New York is such a, a rich place that you have to imagine that uh, somewhere on some level, you know, those, those things maybe exist too. Um, but I, but I do love that. And, and the sort of fun that you pointed out is exactly what inspired me to, to write the world and to build the world. There seemed like no shortage of opportunities to take cues from um, classic mythology and reimagine them in today's universe um, and in today's uh, in today's New York. And as New York changes, we have more and more opportunities to find new venues for telling those stories. Um, so it's you, you hit the nail on the head uh, and very well put. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we talk about settings as as a character, right, like that's certainly something that comes through in, in the books uh, from lesser evils that I've read so far. And I'm sure that will continue. And you're talking about bringing in the culture of it as well. Cause here's the other part, like in, in terms of culture, yeah, there's also tons of stories you could do, you know, people that, like you said, love art, you know, art galleries, you got the foodies, you got the people that are into music, yes. uh, you know, there's yeah. the people that are into the bar scene, mixology and that sort of thing. So again, many different uh, opportunities to, to tell stories, which again, just provides so much. So, uh, this was part of the Tribeca Festival, right? Did you debut some some stuff there? Like, talk about your involvement with. with yeah, that. of course, of course. Um, I'm going to do it in two parts. First, I just want to touch on the the really wonderful point that you made a moment ago, which is each one of these books, I, I think, uh, has a unique passion point that it mines. So, Lydia, our character in Emmett is a sculptor and it's an opportunity to really explore the Brooklyn and New York art scene. Uh, in Thrifter, we're talking about, and we can get into it in greater detail if you'd like, um, a, uh, a design-minded duo who have a supernatural adventure of their own. We can get into design, decor, all of that stuff. Gin is uh, a story that is very much steeped in uh, purpose 
and and also concurrently it's uh it's antithesis hype uh and has all of that to offer and of course tales is set in the culinary world actually so there's there's all of those passion points to mine which is you again a, a very a very good read in terms of the tribeca film festival um we were lucky enough to put out a special edition of lesser evils that included uh four issues um in partnership with the tribeca film festival uh, just to give people a taste of what's to come. And all of these issues will be released um, digitally and in print. I know that Emmett was released uh, digitally and is going to be in print on, it's going to hit comic book shops on August 24th. Um, but this is a great way for some people to sample. And so what we did is I think they, I think they did something like 15,000 issues Um all of the filmmakers got it. They were released at parties. Everyone who receives a diamond catalog, um, I think got three to five issues. And it's really cool to see how uh, these stories ultimately uh, touched people in a, in a very unexpected way. And that, you know, you see the way that the Tribeca issues are, are actually being sold and, and, uh, and distributed now. Like there are some on eBay and they're, you know, some local comic book shops are, are are selling them and other people are are saying this just showed up at my local comic shop and and not even the barcode led to a price and everyone's like what's going on and, and so i think we were able to stoke some intrigue around it and get people uh fired up but the the cosign by the tribeca film festival means a lot i think it's a it speaks to the integrity of the product and i think it also speaks to what we hope is a cinematic uh, uh comic book for people the the genesis of the of the project originally was uh it came about because i had written a short that was at the tribeca film festival um one of my co-creators had uh directed it and the uh and one of the co-founders of awa had seen the short reached out and said we want to make something together let's do it um, and, and so it's a nice full circle moment. Yeah. And again, the Tribeca film festival is, is so tied into, you know, New York city, specifically, you know, oh Brooklyn. Gosh. And, you know, when you talk about culture, you know, it's, it's very much kind of on the, the cutting edge and New York always seems like, you know, they're, they're a little ahead of the rent, you know, things start there and they kind of radiate out. But here's the other, the last thing I want to mention about Sure, of course. York City itself as uh, kind of as a setting, and then we'll get into some details of the story. Um, you know, from the beginning in, in comics, you know, the, it was New York City. They call it Metropolis with, with Superman and then you know Gotham City with yeah, Batman. Yeah. But, you know, and that's a nickname, obviously, for New York Gotham. Um, but especially when you start getting into the Marvel age where, you know, they wanted to make it more realistic and obviously Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, whatever. But at, at some point, it, it's a generic New York city, right? It's, yeah, it's kind right. of the every man, um, uh, I guess how people who've never even been to New York city kind of imagine it, you know, it's this, yep. this sort of cookie cutter idea. When we talk about, you know, New York city and Brooklyn in particular in the setting that you're using, it's, it's much more than that. I mean, th- these are the places that you, you know, that you love the places you see on yeah, a daily basis. True. So talk a little bit about the joy and the challenges of of having uh, New York City, Brooklyn as the, the backdrop, and also talk a little bit about the art from uh, from Yishan. Is does he live in New York as well? 
She she actually oh, lives. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. Um, she lives in London. Um, she's currently out of town, but her home base is is London. Gotcha. Um, the which is also a little bit of a sliding door city, so at least the the vibe is. There. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean Yishan's awesome. She's she's amazing, and she brought so so much to this. Um, and and so did our our cover artists. Um, but. I want to definitely give Yishan her due. She's, she's incredible. Um, in terms of the, the joy that I got, that I derived from bringing my city and my Brooklyn into these books, it's, it's, I mean, it's everything you, I, I even, well, I'll talk about that momentarily, but I, to the experience of, writing a supernatural experience into your everyday one is a trip. It's, it's so much fun. And you never, I think the best part of it is you never experience the same streets, same blocks, same bars, same coffee shops, the same way again. Mm -hmm. Every time I look at them, I will always see Lydia sitting in the corner or, or one of my one of my other characters, uh, you know, at the bar uh, uh, over there, or someone else at the pool table, or someone else at this hoity-toity thrift shop. I will always see them occupying that space now, and it's made a place that I love um, that much richer. It's a really extraordinary and special feeling. So I, I even wrote um, in one of the books, the bartender. Uh, is I, I named him, uh, this is probably unhealthy, but I named him after myself. Right. Um, just because I wanted to fulfill the fantasy of interacting with one of my characters. Yeah. And, and go beyond populating the world I knew with uh, the world I imagined, with the characters I imagined. I put myself in there just because I loved it so much and I wanted to live there and stay there. Um, so no shortage of joy in that and a truly like transformative uh, experience there. It actually changes the way I see all, all cities. I'm always looking for the place beyond the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that place beyond the place point of view is, is going to stay with me. I'll never be able to shake that. And I'm, I'm happy. Um, regarding Yishan and her amazing work. I mean, she's, she's just not only tremendously good, she is tremendously fast. She is uh, incredibly gifted at taking our, uh, our, our boards and our, our swipe and just leveling them up in a wild way and then bringing them to life through her mind's eye. And, you know, these characters are largely her creation, too. Um, she has done a wonderful uh, job sort of understanding what's important to us. Um, and then also uh, saying, okay, there's a better way to do this, or I have the other half of this character to, to sort of shade in and fill in. And she's brought her personality to the table in a big way. I think that some of the characters are very coy and very playful and have a lot of personality. And if they feel too flat or concurrently, or, uh, or uh, uh, I beg your pardon, or too expressive, um, you're not hitting the tonal mark. Mm-hmm. And in these books, there's a line to walk. They're hopefully very often funny, sometimes kind of sad, 
Um, and you need to be able to, to walk the line properly. And, and, and she, she does uh, really, really beautifully. I also want to shout out Jonathan Bartlett, who is a cover artist for all the interior covers of, uh, of Lesser Evils, the Tribeca edition. And he did all the covers for all the hero covers for the, the print issues that you'll see. Uh, uh, Carolina did, uh, did one very, very beautiful one as well. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. But Jonathan is someone I've known for a very, very long time. And he, uh, you see all of his work on the, on the back of the uh, Lesser Evils Tribeca edition. Uh, he just gets it. He's, he is someone who I met when Jonathan was, was living in Brooklyn. He's, he, I think he's since moved to Pennsylvania. But he gets the vibe. He understands the characters. Um, and he just knocked each one of those, uh, out of the park as well. So the art team on this was just like, so, so, so wonderful. Um, I really was, I really was incredibly pleased. Yeah. It's a, it is a gorgeous, it is a gorgeous book. And there's a, uh, there's a real kind of steadiness to the art consistency, you know, which yeah. makes sense yeah. with, uh, with Sean doing, doing all of the art. Um, yep. You know, obviously, you know, we talked about your your love for the city and and you know your love for the characters, even to the point yeah. of wanting to interact with them uh, yourself. What were what were some challenges? Was it what what was the hardest part of of putting this together? Was it self was it self editing? Was it uh, you know yeah what 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 was it? Sure. Um, I, look, I I think the there were definitely a few challenges. the The first challenge was making sure that uh, I, I I actually didn't want to over edit myself. If you read the, the Emmett first issue, um, there's some wild shit that goes down oh, and yeah. there are wild, there are some wild images and ideas that perhaps if I um, were more conservative, I would have, I would have pulled back the, so one of the challenges for me was, look, don't hold back, make the jokes, do the things, pull the gags. Absolutely. Just, just go for it and stick to your guns because people initially will say, are you fucking crazy? Um, And I wanted to, I, I, I needed to bring the confidence to the table and say, yes, but let people read it and experience it. And I think this is the kind of crazy that they're looking for. Um, so that was definitely one thing, you know, stick to your guns, make sure that you deliver confidence around like the crazy. Um, another thing was, you know, not everybody on the team is going to uh, be familiar with all of these references immediately. Um, and I think making sure that the references that are being made are, are the right ones are landing that I'm not being too culturally narrow. Um, and that sort of balance when you're bringing so much into this celebrity culture and fashion culture and design culture. Um, so just calibrating that in the right way. And then, um, the other challenge wise, I, you know, I, I think we, we worked out how to have a variety of unconventional players play a role 
in this project. We had, and it was to great uh, success, I think, uh, like a director um, who had, Justin, who had directed the Tribeca short, uh, come in and direct the, the book. So what does a director do in a comic book? Um, when you're dealing with an egomaniacal writer and, uh, and an artist who is very experienced and definitely has uh, a point of view on, on what to do. How do we all play together in the sandbox and help each other succeed um, as opposed to having a, a turf, which we did not have. I think the answer was like building clear swim lanes and building a process whereby we could say, okay, the script comes in. Um, we're, we're feeling good about the script. Justin is going to pull some swipe and and um, if they're and do a a rough uh, layout, a rough boarding, um, and then we'll hand over the swipe and the boards to Yishan, who will then say, "Okay, this is what's working, this is what's not," and she's going to put it through her lens, mm-hmm. uh, finalize finalize our our boards, and then move into uh, proper pages. So. We got our machine running, um, and I think that we mined the best uh, from everyone, but it was an unconventional uh, team structure. So I think that was probably the, the third challenge. That yeah, we that's, that's really interesting that you did it that way, because I thought the, sto- the visual storytelling was, like, again, such a consistency. Um, and, you know, it, it's harder than you think, you know, as, yes. as a, you know, if you're just a, a comic fan and you read it. Like there's so many comics, you know, even from established uh, creators sometimes where you got to go, oh, let me go back a couple panels. Wait, let me see exactly what I never experienced that throughout reading any of these. The flow was just oh, really, really so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really great. So let's get into some, some detail of, of uh, particular stories. So yeah, yeah, Emmett, yeah. Uh, is, is the first one you mentioned this idea of a, of a golem, uh, the character mm-hmm. Lydia being uh, an artist. Uh, now, Golem, you know, th- th- this is a story, you don't fall into any of those tropes, right? Like the whole idea of a golem, this mythical creature of clay comes from Jewish yeah. mythology. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was so fresh and a different take. So is this something you've had rattling around in your head for a while? <laughs> it, you know, it, it is something that I've had rattling around for a little while. Um, I love, I, I guess I can share my deep belief that... Um, this is bound to bound to be probably popular with some and unpopular with others. But I, I think that religion, all of them, different spiritual practices, I think they're all maps that are trying to get people to the same place. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you get lost and you just end up there. Um and you weren't following a map. You just happened upon this special location. So for me, the fact that a sculptor who went through a bad breakup and uh, went on a bender and fucking blacked out and accidentally conjured a golem from the clay in their studio abides by that logic. It's This is not the original recipe golem. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? There was no recipe. There was no playbook. There was no map. But sometimes... You know, you accidentally knock over the flour and the sugar and half an egg over here in the kitchen. And guess what? You made a cake, you know? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't look like a, you know, a seven layer cake with the perfect uh, uh, frosting. It's obviously a, uh, a a lesser golem in its way. Um, so 
I I love that story. I also I love the idea that uh, you had a character who represented your id, your pure id, everything that you wanted, every uh, uh, every experience of rage that you had was was somehow in this in this character. Um, every every desire, uh, every your your lust, your hate all of it wrapped up in one character. And it also made sense to me because Lydia is, here's a character who's in her, you know, early mid, let's say mid twenties. And that is really, to me, the point at which you're confronting your id and you have to tame it or it's going to destroy you, you know? So it seemed like the right time for that person to be dealing with this, beast that can seem friendly and can seem wonderful, but perhaps, uh, perhaps is more dangerous than you originally anticipate. So that, that story was, was, uh, was one that I wanted to tell at a high level for a while, but infusing it with a Kabbalist tree of life and all of the cultural references that are made along the way and a variety of other elements that, enter into the equation that came in the writing yeah that one it was a lot of fun it's it's one of those things where yeah sometimes you want everything dialed up to 11 but you can't live like that right no you can't live at 11 but it's 11's nice for a while yeah yeah it's, it's um yeah but yeah. the problem is you start going deaf and then you don't realize how it's affecting everybody around you exactly that's exactly right that's exactly right and so this was uh this was life dialed up to 11 in a, in a, you know, two or three size package. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, this cool. is def- definitely one of the ones listeners when Ian says, you know, go, go, go crazy. Yeah. It, it go, he gets, gets to go crazy. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so the next one, uh, and I, first of all, I love the name. I love the play, right? We all know the kind of the myth of the genie, you know, genie in the lamp, you get your wishes or what have you. So next one's called Jin. Uh, and that's the name of the main character who's kind of a half breed, but he also loves to drink gin and, you know, his name is gin, but with an extra N G I N N. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I love, I just loved it. This was my favorite story. So what's, oh, cool. how, how do you, how do you describe it? What's the elevator pitch for this? this the time? elevator pitch for this is um, bad genie, but the, that's a very short elevator, right? If I were taking it to the top, uh, I would say um, a, a, a genie uh, working for an absolute fucking asshole uh, loses his job and spirals into an existential crisis only to fall in love with a woman who works for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Uh, it's at that point, only when he's getting his very long life on track for the first time that his former master returns and wants him to go back. Um, and ultimately, Jin has a massive choice to make with uh, with no clean solution. Um, but what he chooses will ultimately decide who he wants to and who he wishes to be. And that is, that is Jim. Yeah. And it's, it's so relatable, you know, cause I think, you know, for most of us, we go through, you know, we grow up, especially, you know, late teens, twenties, some, some people into their early thirties and you're looking for that. What am I going to do with my, like, 
You know, it's Plus, easy when you're like young. Forever. You can yeah. be in your 40s, 50s. Everyone is always asking that question. Yeah, exactly. And and here's the thing, right? Like when you're young and you have this idea, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, like if I ask my 10-year-old daughter that, you have this idealized picture of what your life's going to be. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to have a Lamborghini and blah, blah, blah. You know, and then as you grow older, you realize that's just not reality. So something yeah. to go back to something you said early on when you were talking about this project, this idea of, of purpose, right? To link it back to New York where... You know, like you said, some people, it, it's their entire life looking for purpose and that you certainly see that in New York. That's why a lot of people move there. You know, they want to be uh, a dancer or they want to yeah. be in theater or they want to work for, you know, Merrill Lynch or, you know, it's financial capital or Wall Street, that yep. kind of thing. So it's such a melting pot of people that are, you know, searching for their their dreams. And yeah, gin is very much an analog for that. So that had to scratch another itch for you. Creatively. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, when you write these things, uh, in my experience, you think you're writing one story or you think you write, you're writing your story for one reason. And then you take a step back and you, and you look at it and you say, well, maybe I was asking myself, you know, Jin's question or, or perhaps, um, the greater question that I'm asking myself at this point in my life is, is what I'm doing meaningful? Am I the person who I always wished I were? Mm -hmm. And, I was, I was surprised, but, but definitely convinced that I, that that was the case. I, I was, I was definitely asking myself, you know, um, as I was writing this, am I proud of where I am right now? Am I, am I doing good or am I just fulfilling my own empty wishes? Um, and, and so that was profound for me. I mean, the, the other thing is, I, I think we all find ourselves the I'm giving away nothing to say that the the story of gin is told uh, through a conversation between gin and a bartender. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we've all or many of us have found ourselves like at that bar in gin seat, whether or not that conversation is something that we have uh, the desire to verbalize or talk to someone about um, is, you know, person to person. But I've, I've had that conversation with bartenders. Um, my conversation just wasn't on the subject of working for a super hypey, you know, drug lord who chills with Julia Fox and Pete Davidson and, and Takashi. Um, but, but it's, it's a very, very relatable story. Um, and I think a lot of people can buy into it. I have, and uh, I, I especially love gin. Gin yeah. means uh, gin means a lot to me, and I think the the like gin's adventures will will continue in a in a really cool way. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that next, but uh, one more thing, kind of about where where we're at here in terms of re relatability. Sure. The other aspect of it, you know, in terms of finding purpose, there's also the the other part of it where you stop looking, and before you know it, you're kind of and this is where gin is at at the beginning of the story that you're kind of trapped in this place and you don't even think about it anymore, right? You're just, you're going through the routine and then maybe you wake up one day and realize how the hell did I get here? Yeah, this is not where I should be. And how the hell do I get out of here? Right. Yeah, how do I exactly. change my life? Exactly. And it's, it always hurts. It always is painful. And the reason gin drinks is to numb that pain. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, I mean, he likes a little, he likes, he likes a, a cocktail. Don't get me wrong. He likes a G and T but he, he drinks because he's not proud of himself and he's not proud of his station and he's not proud of that, of his actions. 
And but that's and, also that's also subconscious at the beginning of the story, which is yeah. so great about his journey when he realizes because he was perfectly fine. You know, like when he first yeah, gets fired, exactly. he he's like, well, you can't you know, he, he actually feels bad that he got kicked out of this shitty place he shouldn't have been in. I mean, and, and don't so many of us feel the same way. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. What the fuck? Like I you don't know how unhappy you were until you take a step back and take right. inventory of your whole situation. And that's what I think surprises the character. Um, he thought he was doing just fine. You see all of these coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. He doesn't identify them as coping mechanisms. And it's only when he's forced to get a little uncomfortable that the changes uh, start occurring. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And, and now, so are you, ha, do you have more gin that, that's already being, being worked on? Cause yeah, at the, at, it, I loved it at the end. It said the end ish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't want to give anything away, but at the conclusion of the second issue, there is a little bit of a cliffhanger where right. a certain character who you learn about in the abstract makes an appearance. And I think that character will take us on, um, will be a part of the next leg of the journey, but there is definitely more gin. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, and the last one that I got to check out was, uh, was thrifter, which I, I'm not, th- th- this would totally be for my sister. She's a photographer and she's into the yeah, whole yeah, yeah. second hand and <clears throat> has a real uh, eye for, for design. And I I'm terrible at that sort of thing, but this idea of, I, I, you know, I kind of loved it at the beginning. They're trying to get a, a bank loan to continue their business. This idea of, Hey, it's less a carbon footprint. If you reuse something, and there's so much that we can look back in the past and see beauty in it, as opposed to this like idea of commercialism and constantly, you know, making new stuff and throwing the old stuff out. I mean, we've been a disposable society for far too long. Yep. <laughs> look where it's got us, right? It's true. It's absolutely true. Um, I, I, I think that the the idea of resale, which is what the the two characters, uh, Dina and Jen, uh, are are in business doing in our in our story is increasingly popular very very important and is playing and plays a huge role in the world of like brooklyn interior design you have your main drag of uh like of shops in greenpoint that are look exactly like the first shop Mm-hmm. So it, it is extremely uh, familiar and it's, it's definitely a part of, of culture right now. I, um, I think this story is definitely a, like a, a really fun one. And it was written for the purpose of exploring the relationship between business partners and, and friends. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've never seen a story that really explores what it's like in today's climate to be uh, today's environment to be a young person in business with another young person and all of the it's very much a marriage Mm -hmm. um and all there's so much that uh uh, in the success of your business that relies on communication saying everything that you feel to the other person and i think the great issue in the story is uh both of these characters are terrible at expressing their their feelings and their vulnerabilities to each other so i wanted to write a story where there was 
a demon that feeds on their unresolved issues. Mm -hmm. And the danger becomes more intense um, as their issues grow greater um, and are not communicated to one another. And it's only by truly like sharing their shit, their respective shit with each other, that they're able to stand a chance against this thing. So it was, maybe it's, maybe it's a little more of a fable than the, uh, than the other two, but it was a, a real good time writing. And uh, the dialogue in this one was, was some of my favorite dialogue. It <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it felt very uh, on point for sure. Thank you. Uh, especially for, you know, younger, younger readers. The other thing I loved about it, I got, I don't know if you're familiar uh, there used to be um, a show, syndicated show ba- back in the day. I think it was, how was it called? Friday the 13th. And it was about a thrift shop. Uh, and there used to, they used to all, like the devil had made a deal with the thrift shop or whatever. And they had okay, to go back and, and, and get hunt down all the things that they'd sold that were cursed. Oh, That's, no way. I never saw that. No. Yeah. I, th- I can't, I don't know if it was, but anyway, uh, it used to come on late on Saturday nights. And that's the, f- I got a little bit of that feel because again, uh, much yeah. like Jen, much like Emmett, you can keep going with Thrifter. Uh, Janet Adina can keep having adventures yeah. as the secondhand items come in and, you know, they're supernatural or there's a backstory or they have to like hunt things down. So again, it, yeah, it feels like you're just at the starting point. Do you have, you know, more ideas for more? Th- yeah, uh, for all stories? of these. We have, I have more Emmett, I have more Jin, I have more Thrifter, more Tales, more, more, absolutely all of it. So uh, I'm excited to see what people are most excited about. And, you know, we got, we got a couple of re, you know, nice reviews um, from folks. And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating to me to, to see what uh, appeals to people and people are saying different things. Some people are, like all in on gin fucking love gin. Like there's so much potential here. I love like all these satirical interactions with the celebrities. Some people are saying I'm Emmett all the way. I want to hang out with Emmett. We all need a little Emmett in our life. You know, like some people want, want their own uh, Emmett experience. And, and so it's, I'm, I'm actively listening and yes, I have my plan, but I also, it also matters to me a great deal. What, people and, and new fans of the lesser evils uh, uh, series are, are vibing with. Like I, I want to, I want to take that into consideration when we're creating a comic universe like this, that is very much in dialogue with culture, that culture in my view fully encompasses, includes and elevates fans. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Ian. Oh, thank I, I you. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, let's let people know. So uh, you mentioned that Emmett's going to be the first one that's actually in, in print and is available yeah, digitally right. uh, already. So um, as these things start to be released, is there a place online? Should they follow you on social media? Like where's the best place to, to find out about sure, upcoming sure. lesser evils info? I think there's there are a lot of a lot of ways to to find out about it. AWA, our publisher is certainly going to uh, continue promoting uh, all of the releases and they'll be released on a monthly basis starting on in print, starting on August 24th um, with Emmett, followed by Gin 1, Gin 2 and Thrifter. Um, if anyone wants to see global, uh, uh, see Emmett uh, digitally right now, you can check it out. It's f- available for free on Global Comics. 
Um, I think that, uh, I, you know, 20,000 or so people took a quick look and, and really vibed with it. So please check it out. And, um, and yeah, I'm always talking about, uh, you know, when stuff, uh, when stuff is, is coming out next. And you can uh, follow me at igrody, I-G-R-O-D-Y, I'm more active on Instagram. And I'll post some art and I'll share um, the latest on, on when stuff is coming out or if we'll be uh, visiting somewhere. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you guys know. But thank you so much. And, uh, and I hope everyone enjoys Lesser Evils. Yeah, again, great, great having you. And I, I imagine you love when people reach out on social media to, after they've checked it out to give you. Uh, oh, my gosh, right? it's the greatest. I, I love hearing from from everyone what they were thinking, what they're into. Um, I'll take us. I'll, I'll invite a spicy take. I'll take a hot take. Um, but compliments are compliments are also welcome. Um, I hope that everyone really enjoys it and, and sees some of themselves and some of the people they know in these uh, supernatural stories. Great. Well, for uh, you listeners, I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to Ian's Instagram. Um, and obviously, as these uh, begin to be released, I'm sure we'll be talking about them on our uh, spoiler-free New Comic Wednesday uh, episodes as well and, and let you know uh, when these are starting to, to hit comic shots in print. But definitely go to Global Comics and check out uh, the digital for free right now, as Ian said, the digital copy of, uh, of Emmett and let them know what you think. So uh, again, Ian, best of luck with the project. Thank you so uh, much. really look forward to, to seeing more of uh, what you're doing. So thank you so much, Chase. Uh, and to you listeners, we want to thank you as well. We wouldn't do it without you. Couldn't do it without you. So thanks for listening as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.